Well, good morning. Good to have you here. If you have your outline, I want to invite you to take that out. Certainly have already enjoyed celebrating uh, waters of baptism and worship with all of you. But take out that bulletin, if you would, and uh, you'll see we're talking today about marriage. Back in January um, of this year, we began a series on the core values of the church here at First Baptist. And uh, if you'll remember, we had 10 of those core values. Uh, we've had them on blocks around the staging. We'll bring some of those back in just a bit. But we have them up here on the screen as well. And uh, so let me just read over kind of some of the ones that we've already talked about since uh, January. We uh, talked a few weeks about all people. We'll be talking a little bit more about people in the upcoming weeks here over the summer. The Bible and how authoritative that is in our lives. Prayer, worship, and evangelism. And then today we are going to begin uh, talking about the value of marriage. And so you have that on the top of your outline in that box. It's also going to be up here on the screen. And so I'm going to ask you if you would read that value with me, okay? Let me start off by saying we value marriage. Let's go ahead and read that. We value marriage as a lifelong commitment between one man and one woman that reflects Christ's relationship this church. All right, very quickly, let me go over that. We believe marriage is to be a lifelong commitment, not discarded when things get tough, not thrown away or disposable as our culture of divorce has really made it to be, but a lifelong commitment that we stick it out, we go through it, and we do it because God is working on us in the midst of that. So it's a lifelong commitment. The second little teaching point there is it's between one man and one woman. Um, obviously, our culture is really trying to eat at this one as well, um, but biblically, it's not men with men, women with women to be called marriage. Um, Our culture is trying to redefine that, um, but it's one man and one woman, and that's what the scriptures teach us. If we value the Bible like we talked about a few months ago, then we will value what it teaches, and that is what it teaches, that it's between one man and one woman. That's the definition of marriage. And then the third major point we have on there is that marriage relationship reflects Christ's relationship with the church. That's the biblical analogy that is used in Scripture of Christ being the groom and of his church or his bride, the people, being the bride given to the groom. And so there's some beautiful analogy there of our relationship with God. It's in the Old Testament. It's in the New Testament as well, which, by the way, I mean, is it no wonder that Satan has focused so hard to tear down marriage in our culture, in our society, because that's how God uses that illustration and analogy in scripture to be he is married to us we are married to him uh and so just a kind of a point to remember that um as we value marriage here at first baptist we do so because the bible teaches us to do so and uh, and that's what we stand on now let me kind of um clarify one thing with this because as we compare marriage to the other values that are up there we're not saying that marriage is the expectation Okay, uh, some of you might read that and say, well, I know I'm supposed to do all the other things. Am I also supposed to be married? No, that's, that's not what we're talking about there. All the other values, we, we, we think that we should be growing in our discipleship. We should be growing in, in prayer and worship, evangelism, and the love of all people and all of that. Um, but we're not saying that you've finally arrived if you are married. That's not what we're talking about there. We're valuing marriage from a little different angle over the next few weeks, and that is not as 
The culture has defined marriage, but has God has defined marriage and his value for us to be in that lifelong commitment with one another. And so no matter what stage of life you're in, whether you are married or not, um, I pray that as we talk over this over the next few weeks, whether you're single, married, or whether you've been divorced, widowed, whatever it may be, that you'll understand a little bit more about what God desires. But I do have to say this as well. If you're single, don't tune out over the next three or four weeks um, because one of these days you will probably be married again if you so desire. I said that one time in our singles ministry and some gal in the front row laughed and she was married within four months. Uh, so, so look at this and understand this, but this is for any relationship, any relationship that you have with one another, because the points that I'm going to be sharing here are from scripture. They're also very foundational and they're God given for our understanding and for our enjoyment of one another. So, as I kind of transition, though, into talking specifically about marriage or maybe a dating relationship that you are in, it's, it's really kind of interesting because um, it's not easy. I mean, if you've been married for a little over 10 minutes, you'll know marriage is not, not easy, right? And, and, and even a relationship between, between men and women is not very easy. We, we have these major biological differences of how God made us and shaped us and the things that we do. Let me just share a few with you. Um, uh, Dr. Dobson talks about some of these. He says every cell in the body uh, of a man and women is, is made differently from our chromosome combinations all the way down. Um, life expectancy even kind of takes a part of some of that. Um, we differ in in metabolism, women's metabolism a little bit lower usually than men's. We differ uh, in that women's, uh, get this, I didn't know all this, but they have larger kidneys, larger livers, larger stomachs, larger appendix. They have those smaller lungs. Interesting enough, women have smaller lungs. Um, our skeletal structure is different between men and women. In fact, wa- watch this. If you have, um, uh, um, well, you probably have a hand, right, in front of you, but take your hand and, and put it in front of you like this. With women, your first finger is usually larger than your third finger. But for men, your third finger is usually larger than your first finger. Now, if you're a man and it's the other way around, put your hand down really quickly here so nobody sees that. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. and Just joking. But that's the way God made us. Different. I, you know, I popped my hand up this week. I was like, yeah, that's true. That's true. God just made us differently. In fact, men, your bones are heavier. Your skin, God made thicker. Your skulls are thicker, and you can put in whatever joke you want right there. I'll leave that one up to you, okay? I'll leave that one up to you. That's fine. That's fine. You, you are stronger. The men are stronger in brute strength. In fact, women are 20% body mass is muscle, but for men, um, you're 40%. Um, uh, your body mass is made of muscle. Women's hearts beat more rapidly than men's in general. Um, you know, they've done studies on little girls, four-year-old girls. Uh, by um, age four, 100% of the noises coming out of their mouths were used in conversational type noises. But with little boys, only 40% were conversational noises. You know the other ones, right? <laughs> You know, that, that kind of stuff. That's what, that's what we do. Hoo, hoo, hoo. We grow up to be men and, hoo, and we grunt and all that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. Which is different. 
We, we are made differently. My wife is an amazing multitasker. She can do so many things all at once, make the lunches, you know, listen to the kids, I'll make dinner, all the rest of it. I'm like, single focus, single focus. You know, you don't have my attention unless you got me and my eyes are on you. I, don't, I can't study with the radio on. I can't study with the TV on or read the paper with the TV on. I mean, I, we're just made so, so differently. Now, you take all those physiological differences... You add into them emotional differences between men and women, major emotional differences many times, right? I mean, even all the way down to the words that we use and how we express words and share words, which, you know, it's common, uh, commonly known that women use twice as many words than men do. You women say it's because we, you never listen to us, and so we have to repeat ourselves all the time. I, I know. I know how that goes. Um, throw in the fact, though, that we are also human and very self-centered people. I know I'm very self-centered in my ways. And now we have a potential for relational madness. I mean, I mean it, it can be very difficult. Now, those differences can very much complement one another, but if we don't get over that and use them in that way, it can be very, very difficult. In fact, I remember a number of years ago, I was with a room of uh, young singles, and um, there was a gal who was probably in her mid-30s, and we were just talking and sharing and having some conversation. I think it was actually a lunch here on campus. And in the midst of the conversation, she just threw it out to the group. There was about 10 of us in the room. And she said this. She says, you know, ha- has anyone ever seen people with a happy marriage? And we all kind of looked at her. And, and she said, yeah, you know, my, my parents are, are married, but they are not happy people. They don't enjoy being married. She says, I have some relatives they're not happy. I, I have some work associates who are married. I, I, they're not happy as well. I have a few friends. Most of them are single, but a few friends who are married. I, I, I've never seen a happy marriage. And it floored me that here she is with, with all these differences and these tough differences in life. She now, if she ever wanted to be married, which by the way, she was saying, I, I really don't have a desire to be married with all that I've seen, is looking at marriages and saying, I've never even seen one modeled in a godly, godly way. I mean, it makes you wonder, makes you question. Did God, when he made the first man and woman, Adam and Eve, like, did the first dog come along and eat the owner's manual or the marriage manual or something like that, right? I mean, I mean what, 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 God, how do we do this? It can, it can be very, very difficult at times. But I want to encourage you that when we follow Scripture, because there is so much in there to teach us and to share with us, that God has a wonderful plan. Because marriage can be life-changing. Marriage can be just a wonderful, wonderful relationship that, that grows us and changes us and challenges us and molds us and shapes us and makes us into the people that God wants us to be. Now, the other way around, it's very difficult being married, and it's not a godly marriage. I mean, that can be extremely, extremely difficult. So today and over the next few weeks, I want to share a little bit about marriage and what makes a difference. In fact, we don't have a lot of time to do this, so I kind of wanted to boil things down to one major concept today. And it is big. You can have your outline. You'll see it on there. We'll fill it in in just a second. It is big. It is foundational. And when it is followed, you will experience a marriage as God intended for it to be. When I um, do premarital counseling with couples and preparing to marry them, um, I often have them write out their vows or choose from some vows that I give to them. And without exception, 
Usually some of these words are in place. To have and to hold, to love and to cherish, to honor in sickness and in health, richer and poorer. And I'll tell you the one that gets left out the sooner. Not, not the one that doesn't get said, because they all get said. But the one that gets left out the soonest in their relationship is not love. It's usually not commitment. It's usually not faithfulness, because all those things are committing to one another. Those aren't the one, that's not the one that gets left out. The one that gets left out is the fill-in on your sheet, and that is this. That the foundational principle that gets left out of relationships first is honor. Honor. Honor gets left out the most. And now let me expand this beyond just a marriage relationship, because I said these principles can work in many cases. Yes, in marriage, husbands and wives, that needs to be there. But what about what we talked about last week with with, uh, parents and moms and dads parenting children and the parent-child relationship. If that child does not learn honor in the home, many times that does not go into the school. It doesn't go into the school. It doesn't go into the workplace. Oftentimes you can't even hold down a job because there's not a sense of honor in that relationship. It, it needs to work with a friend-to-friend type of relationship as well. And at the heart even of our relationship with God is a sense of honor towards him. And so let me give you just kind of a thumbnail sketch of what honor is and what it's taught in Scripture. The word honor, if you were um, a Greek living in Christ's day, had a literal meaning. And that word for honor would bring to mind something that is heavy or weighty. Heavy or weighty. And so gold would be a perfect illustration or example of this. It, it, It has honor because it is heavy, but it also has value as well. So, so when you think of the word honor, think of something heavy or weighty. Now, just the opposite is true for dishonor. In fact, the Greeks would think of a word like mist or steam because it's so lightweight, because it so dissipates, because there's just kind of like nothing really there. So a boiling pot or clouding of a mirror on a cold winter day would be the steam on there that can just disappear and go away very quickly. So when we honor, think about honor, heavy or weighty, when we honor particular people, we are saying in effect that who they are and what they say carries weight with us. The same is true when we dishonor someone, that who they are, what they say is just a lightweight in our eyes. They don't matter very much. And so now you see when Scripture talks about relationships and giving honor, you can see what it is meaning. It means give value to what they say. In fact, out of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6.20, Paul is talking about you were bought with a price. Honor God. Now honor God with that price. Honor God with your body because of the price that he paid for you. He thought so much of you. He put weight in you. And now we need to put weight in what God thinks. We need to honor him, not only with our bodies, as this verse talks about, but with our lives as well. Let me bring it to the marriage relationship. 1 Peter 3, 7 talks about this when it says, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing, what's the word there? Showing what? honor to the woman, understanding her, giving her weight, giving her value, giving her, uh, showing her that what she is and what she thinks and who she does gives value in your eyes. But it goes beyond just to God or to 
marriage relationship. It also goes to people of any relationship that we have. In fact, Romans 12.10 talks about that when it says, love one another with brotherly affection. In fact, I love the way ESV translates this one. Outdo one another in showing honor. Trying up the other person. Give them more honor than they give to you. Now you look at those three verses that I just gave you and you can see that honor is needed in your relationship with God. Honor is needed in your relationship with your spouse or dating relationship, serious dating relationship. Honor is needed with brotherly and sisterly relationships that we have as well. And so I'll I'll just put this one out here. If you are really going to honor people with all that God expects, you cannot do it without first honoring God. That God made you to know him. God made you to honor him. And when you honor him, that brings honor to other people. In fact, if you compare it like this, maybe this is you, this is your spouse. As you grow closer up to God, if God is up here, if you grow closer up to God, that is causing you to be closer to one another as well. If you do not have God in the middle of this relationship, if you're not growing towards him, you are here and you really can't become any closer. But as you grow closer to God, now you are becoming closer to one another. That's the value, the high value that God puts upon our relationship with him that bleeds over into everything. And so you measure that. You say, okay, well, am I honoring God? How am I doing in my prayer life? How am I doing in my devotional reading? How am I doing in my faith? How am I doing in my obedience to him? Same thing is true when you say, am I honoring my spouse? Am I giving her weight over my work? Am I giving him weight over my time with the gals? Am I giving her weight over my hobbies that I have? Am I giving him weight over my friends or my sporting teams? Am I giving her authority, weight, heaviness, and thought that I value her over all of those types of things? And so let's just get very practical here today. Let me start by saying this. Ways to show honor. And the first one is this. It's the awe principle, but it's more than that. I'm going to pronounce it this way. It's the (gasps) principle. Okay, go ahead and go to the next point there, Matt. I don't know if we're having some computer problems up there, but, but you can see the fill in there. It would be, it's the ah principle. Okay, and if you have trouble how to spell that, look at the top of the page. You see the ah principle? That's how you spell it. But this is how you pronounce it. Okay, okay. That, that's the principle that we're living with here. Well, let me read the verse out of uh, Proverbs 1.7. You can see it on your outline. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of of knowledge. The fear of the Lord, the honor and respect that we give to the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. It's the beginning of wisdom. Moses had this when he came across the burning bush. It was a sense of, Elijah had this when he heard God's still small voice in the cave. It wasn't with the earthquake. It wasn't with the fire. It wasn't with the wind. It wasn't with the storm, but the still small voice. The disciples had this when Jesus calmed the storm, calmed the waves when they were in the boat, and they realized, wow, Jesus, you have control over all of this. It's a sense of awe. It's a sense of wonder. Now, humanly, oftentimes this gets done as a reflex. If someone famous would come into the room, we might say, something like that. But we do this. We do this to one another, and when you do, You give them incredible reverence. In fact, would you pronounce it like I pronounce it? Would you do that with me? Okay, ready, go. (gasps) Okay, now don't hyperventilate when you do that, okay? So you have to kind of keep your breathing going as well, okay? But try it again, try it again. Ready, go. (gasps) Okay, turn to one another 
and give one another that little, that little reverence, that little honor, okay? Turn to one another and give them a... <gasps> Did you do it? Let me see it. Let me see it. Try that this week. I mean, think about the places that, that, that men and women are honored. A judge, if, they're asked, if, if the courtroom um, is in session, the judge walks in, he says, all rise, you give the judge honor. In the Asian culture, I have some Asian families, we have some Asian families here who will have their children come up and grab my hand and put my hand to their forehead as they kind of bow uh, on the hand. That's a sense of honor that they are giving. Even the smallest act of awe has a positive effect on a relationship. Even the smallest act. In fact, look at the verse out of Proverbs 15.30. Bright eyes gladden the heart. Bright eyes. Because I don't think you can like, you know, like have squinty eyes when you're going, oh, right? Your eyes brighten up. Your eye, that's what I think flowers maybe do to you ladies. Guys, if we don't understand that. That's what flowers I think do. Oh, wow, you honor me. You valued me. And so I want to encourage you, give that to one another. Try doing that to your spouse. In fact, try doing that to your spouse when he or she walks in the room sometime, right? You're there watching TV and it's like, oh, oh it's you, right? <laughs> Just do it. Just try it. Just try it. See what happens. See what happens. In fact, when he comes home, when he comes home after work and he walks in the door, I go, oh, and see what he thinks. He'll probably think he's at the wrong house to begin with, but just see, see what he thinks, all right? Because you will be giving them value. You'll be giving them honor when you do that. Okay, that's the oh, principle. Now watch this. Second point on the back of the outline. Remember that honor is in the oh, of the beholder. Okay? The honor is in the oh, of the beholder. Right, let's, let's make this spiritual for a second. Romans 5, 8. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ what? He died for us. He gave you great value. He died for you. He, he, he honors you. He gives weight to you while we were still sinners. You know what this means? Here, here's what this means. If any of you have been on a retreat or a trip or a mission trip with me, you, you'll probably know that I, I hate mornings. Okay? I do not like to get up in mornings. It, it's not fun, pretty. It's not, in fact, we have a men's breakfast here. They often rib me, uh, me getting up, and I'm rubbing the crusties out of my eyes and other things like that when I'm up. But when I'm at home, here's what this means. I wake up with, you know, the bedhead going on. I got morning breath. I, you know, I got volcanoes on my nose and popping those. And, you know, 45 years of age. And, yeah, I'm still doing search and destroy in the morning, right? Looking in the mirror. I got my, you know, underwear, saggy white underwear on. I'm waking up and here I come. And I got the crusties and the eye boogers. And I'm, I, I'm just a piece of work, right, when I first wake up. So I'm just striving for the shower. If my wife has already showered... If she is already ready, if she is already smelling good, looking good, and stuff like that, she still chooses to honor me by saying, good morning, and smacking me with a big old kiss. <gasps> right? That's kind of her, <gasps> that is a decision. That is a decision. The feelings might not be there because I don't look so good. But that is a decision that she's getting. And then when I am moody, when I am doing, you know, my male PMS thing, you know what that is? That's my pre-message syndrome. Every time before I preach, I get kind of moody. What were you guys thinking, by the way? Well, what? 
We'll let that one go. All right. She still makes a choice. When I am moody, she still makes a choice, the decision to love me because she has placed value on me in our relationship. She said, I will love you for good or for bad. I will love you when you look good, when you don't look so good. Every time I marry a couple, most every time I marry a couple, I tell them in front of everybody here, I say, guys, gals, I say, bride, groom, you guys look great here today, but you will not always look this good. In fact, I tell the bride, I say, imagine him about 15 years from now where he's got about 25-pound pot belly going on here, and he's balding, all right? Imagine that. Do you still love him? Groom, do you still love her when she does not look quite this good? Close, close, but not quite this good. Will you still love her? It's easy to love her when you look good. It's easy to love when you look honorable. But we make that decision to honor them because honor is in the awe of the beholder. I mean, think about this from maybe even sports teams. Some of you just are passionate and love your sports teams, right? So you love, when you see your team's jersey, you're like, yeah, that's my team, right? Okay? Some of you, okay, okay? It's in the awe of the beholder, isn't it, right? Some of you are like, that is the team, nothing more. And then others of you have come to be enlightened and have seen that this is the true team as well. Okay? Yeah? Okay? okay. It, just, it just all kind of depends. So we'll put that one there and we'll just kind of throw that one aside over there. Okay. All right, all right, all right. Don't shoot the messenger, just teaching a point, okay? Just teaching a point, all right? But it's in the, ah, of the beholder what we like, isn't it? You need to value, honor, ah, to your spouse. That's what you need to do. In fact, when um, I used to come home from work and the kids were like ages two to four years of age in there, it was real, real fun when I'd walk through the door and uh, my son or my daughter would run to me and just could not wait to be with me. And then as you get a little older, and the kids get a little bit older, I don't know, somewhere in that seven, nine, ten years of age, they don't do that quite so much. There's other things going on. Now remember that Carrie would often gather the kids. I never knew, I never asked her about this, but I know she did this behind the scenes, that when I walked in the door, she would gather the kids over, and I could, I could tell. She knew when the garage door went up. She would gather the kids, and she'd say, Kids, your dad's home. Go greet him. Go love on him. And she would do that. And so the kids would come, and they would just, like, give me that sense of, Hey, oh, dad, dad's home. And then when they get to be teenagers, yeah, it's like, Dad, dad who? Dad, you know, right? Right? But parents, I would encourage you, do that for one another. Do that for your spouse who walks to the door. Do that for you, you, one another. Model that. Your kids are watching. Model that for them. You might say, well, what if they don't deserve it? wonder if they've been doing some stupid things and uh, wonder if even maybe he's been drinking or seeing someone else or leaving me. Or, you know what? I, I had a gal I was working through with this a number of years ago. I told her, your duty, you can't control him, but your duty is still to be honorable to your husband. Because he is still your husband. And so you need to continue to love him. 
You need to continue to pray for him. You need to continue to share with him. You need to continue to be welcoming of him. However, you do need to have boundaries. Don't expect him to walk all over you. You can't have that. But you are still in a love relationship. You're still in a marriage relationship with him. And so you still need to do that. In fact, I know somebody whose father was an alcoholic. And um, even in the midst of that, alcoholism and the relationship he had, he still chose to honor his father by praying for his father, by encouraging him in his growth, by inviting him to come into the home, letting him spend time with the family when he and his spouse were there to watch. However, um, honor does not mean that he has to let his three-year-old daughter uh, drive with his father who's an alcoholic. That, that was one of the things that they put boundaries on and said, no, you, you cannot take her unsupervised. You know, stuff like, you know, you can't swear around them. You can't smoke around them. I don't want you to, of course, joking or teaching around them. There's boundaries that gets put into place. Even when they're not honorable, there are boundaries that can be put in place so that you can honor them because of the relationship that's been set up. Even if you don't feel like they are very honorable or that they deserve it. In that situation that I was talking about, after a number of months, the husband finally woke up to what he had at home compared to what he thought he had out in the world. And today they have a godly relationship. It wouldn't have been if she would have just turned it off and said, oh, I'm not going to honor him because he's not honoring me. If you're married, you need to honor your spouse. You need to take those steps with them. You need to work hard. In fact, that's the last point I wrote down there. And that is to work hard to keep the dishonoring actions away. Work hard to keep those dishonoring actions away. Look at the verse out of James 1. It says, Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Goes on Ephesians 5 4, let there be no filthiness, nor coarse, foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be, what's the word there? Let there be what? Thanksgiving. You know why? You know why that's so important? Because if an attitude of dishonor, please follow me on this, if an attitude of dishonor is allowed to develop and to turn destructive, it is a short step to attaching the negative feelings to the person instead of their actions. See where it starts? We hate the action that they do. But it's a very short step that we attach those feelings, that hatred, that that extreme dislike for what they're doing to them personally. And so you got to work hard to say, okay, they are doing some stupid things right now. I hate the things that they are doing, but I want to still love this person because this person is my spouse. I've committed to them and God has given them to me until the day we are no longer married. I will continue to honor them. And you, when you begin those patterns of dishonor in your mate, even if it's just in your mind, you're going to start to lose those feelings of love for them. What are some of those things? Let me just share a few because some of us maybe don't realize that we do it. It would be ignoring or maybe degrading another person's uh, opinions or their advice or their beliefs. Maybe it would be burying oneself in the television or the newspaper when you get home and not engaging in family. Maybe it's creating jokes about another person's weak areas or their shortcomings in life, maybe sarcasm or cutting jokes that people remember for year upon year upon year. Years later, we remember some of those things. Maybe it's treating the in-laws or the relatives as being unimportant 
or not express an appreciation for someone for the little things that they do, or maybe it's uh, overcommitting ourselves, and so we value or we place heavier weight with other things rather than with our spouse. Maybe it's power struggle, struggles that make somebody feel dominated in a relationship, or maybe um, it's never being willing to say, you know what, I'm sorry, I was wrong. Those things can weigh down on a marriage. And what happens when that takes place is we don't honor the person. And here, this is really where this comes to. I believe every affair that happens in our society comes about because they don't get the honor in the relationship or at home, and they begin to get that honor from someone else. They get that, oh, from someone else. And it feels good to hear it from someone else. And so you begin to unite and align your heart with somebody else rather than your spouse, rather than at home, rather than what God has made us to be and do. So I want to encourage you, First Baptist, work hard. Work hard at giving honor Every relationship, I believe, begins with that sense of honor that we give. But you do not have to do this on your own power. God gives us that power to do it in. The Holy Spirit is the one who guides us. The Holy Spirit is the one who opens our eyes to say, have I not been doing this and doing this correctly? And so I pray that if you've been trying to do this on your own and it has not worked, that you would turn this over to God and say, God, you have got to help me in this. In fact, the, the, the greatest passage on this, I'm going to read it very quickly. You have some verses, I think, that they're going to appear on the PowerPoint. If they're not, I'll read them anyway. Here they are. It is out of Ephesians chapter 5. Let me just read a few verses in here. It says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Now, that might not be very popular in 2014. But that's God's word, and that's how we set up the Bible, or set up the marriage relationship to be. That's the teaching, and we could go into that further. We don't have time to do that here today, but wives, submit to your own husbands. As to the Lord, as to him, go on to verse 25, where it says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Love your wives so much that you would die for her, giving her heavy weight, heavy value. <gasps> Showing her that you honor her in all that you do. It's on in verse 28. It says, In the same way husbands should love their wives even as their own bodies. For he who loves his wife loves himself. And then the teaching ends up at the end of the passage where it says, However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. There's a sense of, of honor and love and respect that is covered in this relationship that Paul brings up. But don't miss this, because if you have your Bibles open, you'll see that the passage on wives and husbands really begins at 22, but it doesn't. It jumps up to 21. Let me read you one last verse, and then we'll be done. In verse 21, here's how it sets things up. It says, you need to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's what it really is based upon. When you have a love relationship with God given through his son, Jesus Christ, that's up here. That's then how this relationship works as you grow closer and closer and closer and closer to him. So he's saying here, you do all this 
Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives as you would give up your life. That is all done because you truly do it for Christ. You do it for God. In fact, I'd say it's almost nearly impossible to do it when you don't do that for God. I mean, there are times when my wife and I will be having discussions and arguments and that, that she, I know, just looks right past me and sees Jesus right over my shoulder and says, if he won't be honorable, I'm going to honor you, Christ. I'm going to honor you. There are times when I look past my wife when she's not in her honorable stage and I say, okay, Jesus, if you're calling me to do this. I'll do it for you. If I can't do it for her, I'll do it for you. I want to encourage you in that. We need to take those steps. First Baptist, God has called you into beautiful love relationships if that is your stage in life. It can be living hell when you don't do it right. But it can be the greatest blessing in this world when we submit to Christ first and then we honor the spouse he's given to us. Try that this week.